Welcome to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help you, the technology professional, accelerate your career progression, increase your job satisfaction, and be more effective in your existing role. We want to bring listeners like you the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm John White at VJourneyman on Twitter, sharing co-host duties with Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. We're two former IT operations guys who have moved on to pre-sales roles with technology vendors. We have our opinions, but we also like to highlight the journeys of others and see what we can learn from them. We'd also like to ask for your feedback to make this a conversation, not a one-way broadcast. Email us at nerdjourneypodcast at gmail.com or DM us at nerdjourney on Twitter. So come join us on our nerd journey. Let's take a trip. Episode 261 is officially underway. And thank you for joining us in the middle of a series of interviews with Brandon Seymour. He's the director of solution architects at a technology solutions company called Callion and the co-leader of a technology community group here in Dallas-Fort Worth. If you missed part one of our discussion with Brandon in episode 260, we heard about a young Brandon Seymour joining the Marine Corps a grueling experience in boot camp, and a devastating injury that got him medically discharged from the Marine Corps. At that point, Brandon had to figure out what to do next, and he decided to go into the technology field, something he loved from a much younger age. And after gaining experience in a number of different areas, Brandon decided to shift his focus to Windows Systems Administration. That's where we left off in the conversation last week. This week in part two, Brandon's going to share a little bit about how his perception of failure has changed over time. We're going to hear about what a technical brand owner does and the responsibilities of that role. You'll hear the differences and similarities between working for a value-added reseller and working in IT at what we would call a customer, a company that uses software and hardware solutions to run their business but doesn't sell it to other businesses. You'll get to hear a little bit more about that theme of stepping up to lead as Brandon tells the story of deciding to start and lead a user group focused on a specific technology, and then he'll give us some thoughts on why he decided to begin blogging. Here we go with part two of our discussion with Brandon Seymour. If you leave the organization or you change and you're changing for the better, then I think that they've been successful in helping you with your career. And that's what managers should do. 100% agree with you on that. What made you feel comfortable enough to ask your manager at the time? You know, if for someone who's listening to this that maybe has never made that point to their manager, just come out and said it or maybe is a little bit afraid to say it because they don't know how that will be received. How did you know, okay, I can trust this person and they're not going to get mad at me or think that I don't want to work for them anymore? Well, I think if you're in a position where you don't feel comfortable talking with your manager because you're going to get in trouble, you might want to rethink your position that you're in today. Yep, It sounds like you might have a, a bad manager. But I think really just stepping out of your comfort zone. I think the place that we tend to grow as humans is when we try things that we 
aren't necessarily comfortable with. Um, as humans, I think, especially even in our own lives, we tend to stay within our bubble of trust that we've built around us and the things that we know that sort of define who we are. Um, but we tend to stop growing as individuals in our work life or even our own personal life when we stop trying to venture toward things that may be outside of our, our box that we built around us, right? Stepping out and trying something new gives you the ability to grow. And I talked to this because um, I've been reading this past year about different ways to look at failure in my own life, right? So let me just kind of step back here for a second. So one of the books I was reading about was uh, on growth mindset and looking at you know, failure as not necessarily a bad thing in your life, right? So like from a growth mindset standpoint, you're in a class and your teacher asks you, hey, what's three times three? And you raise your hand, you're like, oh, I know the answer to that. And I'm like, it's five. And your teacher's like, no, that's definitely not the right answer. The right answer is, is nine. From a growth mindset, you've now grown more intelligent because you now know what the right answer is. You're not allowing that to just stop you and be like, well, I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. Why did I step out and, and make a fool of myself in front of the whole class? Now everybody thinks I'm an idiot. No, you, you, instead of taking it from that perspective, you change your mindset and you say, okay, I am now more intelligent than I was before because I know the right answer. So I've grown in intelligence. That's a positive thing for my life. I know next time I'm presented with that question, I know what the right answer is, right? So I think it's in it's same same light, right? It's stepping out of the norms that we build around ourselves um, that become these comfort zones, but they don't allow us to grow as humans because we're afraid of stepping out and, and being made full of, when really it's just an opportunity for us to grow into another aspect of our lives. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I wonder if it's because when we say the word failure, it seems to have this negative connotation. And perhaps maybe it often just means mistake or got one thing wrong. And we we tend to judge ourselves pretty harshly, like place a, a good, bad value judgment on that instead of, like you said, looking at it as the opportunity to just, oh, now I'm smarter than I was. I know more than I did before. Right. And I think the other aspect too is, I mean, look at, if you start looking at individuals that are, that you perceive as successful in your life, and even if you have the opportunity to talk to an individual that you perceive as successful in your life, talk to them about their failures. Because I'm sure they have a litany list of what those are. And the fact is, is like everybody fails in life. It's what we do with the, that. Do we let it stop us in our track? Do we let it define who we are in that moment? Or do we press through it and we learn from it and we continue on our journey? Right. We don't see all the failures of other people. We often see only the things they did right or the accomplishments that they have that perhaps we don't or we would wish we had. And think about that in today's society, how difficult that must be for people that are really tied into social aspects of life, right? With all these different social platforms, those things are defining and showing just the best of who we are. We're not showing our real selves on any of those platforms. 
it's hard to, isn't it? Hard to see the genuineness or the authenticity of people, maybe is a better term. Yeah. One of the things you said was getting out of your bubble, out of your comfort zone into something that's a little bit uncomfortable. One of the things I remember seeing on your LinkedIn was you took on the role of a technical lead in one of your jobs. Can you explain a little bit about what a technical lead does compared to maybe just the normal individual contributor? Because I think that could be a very interesting progression path for listeners who maybe don't want to be people managers, for example, but want to take on another challenge or an extra challenge. So I think I should probably take a little bit of a step back. So in my journey, once I sort of became on the systems admin side, I ended up working for um, a teaching hospital. And that's when uh, I discovered VMware. And VMware really excited me. It changed the trajectory of my career uh, up until this point of where I'm at today. I got involved with VMware at a very uh, early stage. And that team that owned virtualization was the storage team. So I knew nothing about storage um, at the time, but I wanted to be on the virtualization team. So I went and got certified on NetApp and worked with my boss to transition me over to the storage and virtualization team. That continued with, you know, being able to work with the DevOps teams and try to figure out what applications and what low-hanging fruit could be candidates for virtualization at the time. Um, We were building a brand new data center, so things were migrating either physically or they were going to migrate virtually. And I got to be part of those conversations. Saying that, I became a huge VMware fanboy and have really been a fanboy of VMware uh, ever since. I've been blogging about VMware. I stepped out and started leading VMware user groups. And all of that sort of work that I had done prior culminated to this technical brand owner role that we just discussed. Um, where I was working when I came on to Serious Computer Solutions, uh, an individual that was in that role had stepped away from the company. And I had known a lot of people in the VMware community, including a lot of people at, at Sirius, um, a lot of the VMware um, executives that were supporting Sirius at the time. And when that gap uh, needed to be filled, they came and asked me if I would be willing to step into this technical brand owner role. Um, and it was like taking on a second job at the time, but I was willing to do it. I had never done it before. I didn't really know what it all in, it entailed, but the first thing out of my mouth was, yes, I'm going to do this. And I think a lot of that comes back to some of the things that we spoke about, which was, you know, uh, always willing to be stepping out of my comfort zone and always looking for opportunities to lead where others don't. And I wanted to try something new. And so I came on as a technical brand owner for VMware for Sirius, they looked to me for technical direction for that particular product set, right? So how were we going to market? How are we differentiating ourselves from our competitors? At the time, VMware was becoming very channel friendly with their partners. So wanting to expand their partner portfolio. So how could we take advantage of that now and maybe repair relationships between sellers and on, on from VMware and from Sirius? How could we show the sellers how they could make money? How could we train our pre-sales engineers that are the face of what we do, talking with customers about technology and solutions and relating those back to VMware and their portfolio? 
And then how are we developing our own certifications to have solutions engineers on the post-sale side that could go out and do the installation and configuration of these you know, complex solutions? Because at the time, VMware had grown from just being a hypervisor to being a very complex portfolio of different technologies from NSX and vSAN and cloud foundations and now at that time moving into VMware Cloud on AWS. So my go-to-market strategy was looking at, let's look at VMware Cloud since it's brand new and see how we can work that for our customers to make them successful. Just to clarify for everyone who's listening, Sirius Computer Solutions is now part of CDW, I think, and those kinds of companies would be considered a VAR or value-added reseller, right? Yes. And if memory serves, I believe they they can sell the hardware and software to their customers as well as services to consulting services to help install, configure, design, all the things. Yeah. Uh, very similar to where I am at today with Callian. We come in from an uh, initial standpoint, help a customer understand what their challenges are, right? What business challenges they're trying to solve with technology. Um, help them maneuver through the litany of different solutions that are on the market today and find one that fits them um, well and meets those business objectives and needs and then help them not just you know through that process, but help them uh, acquire it and purchase it and then install it and maybe even manage it moving forward for them. And when you mentioned the the culmination of experience that led you to that technical brand owner status with Sirius CDW focused on VMware technologies. I recall earlier in our discussion, you had worked for a firm that lets you work with different customers related to modems and getting those to work. And then you worked on networking and then you did systems administration and you got into virtualization it seemed like some of your experience was on with firms that consult with a number of customers, and maybe some of your experience was with what we would call a customer or someone or a company that they're not a, a consulting firm to other companies. They just have a specific business and they would use different technology solutions to run their technology environment. Yep. So the customer side of the house, where I think if the majority of people reside. Um, however, one thing you got to remember is you may not be doing like what I'm doing from a consultative standpoint for many customers. You're doing that for your internal customer. So when you are in IT, who's your customer? Your business, right? So I think one aspect of that that um, people don't really grasp onto is that um, you know, you're there to be an expert for your cust- for your customer, which is your internal business. And you should be looking at ways to be disruptive uh, with that technology within your own organization. Don't uh, just kind of sit back and do your day-to-day systems admin job, but look for avenues of where you can learn about new technology yourself and pursue new certifications yourself and um, join community groups so you can sort of build your brand of who you are and become an expert in, you know, other aspects of things that you doing your job. Um, And as a VMware user group leader, one thing I always kind of tell people 
remember that you're always putting, you should be putting on presentations to your, your internal teams to drive new technologies and talk about the advantages of those technologies and how they're solving business problems for you guys today. Regardless of me as an architect coming in and helping you with that solution, you should be doing that for your customer. And because you're building that sort of intellectual property, you should be able to present that to other user groups within your own community, whether that's VMware or you know other specific user groups that are out there today. Getting involved with those things, I think, helps you grow as an individual as well and advance your career. Absolutely. And I like what you said, Brandon, about you're providing solutions back to your customers internally, which is the business. Yeah. So maybe the jump in experience from working as a customer or someone in IT operations, systems administration, architecture for a customer of technology companies like a healthcare organization or manufacturing organization, perhaps the jump isn't that far to do something like that for a value-added reseller like a CDW, an SHI, one of those consulting firms out there, which could be a step up in someone's career where they get to work with many different types of companies as their customers instead of just the internal teams of a one specific business. Oh yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think that I think that maybe people with that are in that situation might feel like it's a large jump, but if they start to look at how they should be doing their job today, and that I think that's that's a good stopping point is like, okay, am I doing these things today internally, right? So am I looking to to architect new solutions for my internal customer, my business? Um am I presenting those ideas? Um, whether they get adopted or not, um, am I collaborating with you know other uh, domains within the organization? Am I trying to understand how other aspects of my business work because everything ties together? That's one thing that we, we've always tried to do within our own organizations is to take down those silos within our organization so that we have better understanding of overall what all the teams are working on so that we can collaborate better as an organization on the technology direction of the organization that we're working for. So if you're involved in any aspect of that altogether, you're already kind of doing what I do. I just get to do it for more than one company and and more than one industry, which is one of the things that I find so appealing about the job that I'm in. The conversations that I'm having change from customer to customer depending on who they are, if they're healthcare or corporate or whatever it may be, it, it changes all the time. So there's never any boredom in my job. Agree. I think you you gave a lot of great tips on how the job roles are similar and the work is similar. Perhaps what maybe some folks miss is actually documenting whether it's on LinkedIn, the resume, I would say both, that they made those technical architectures and made those presentations internally to their stakeholders. And what level were the stakeholders at? You know, even if your idea didn't go through, didn't get approved, you still put in the work, the time, and gain some experience by making the presentation, or you might call it a pitch, right, to of a specific solution because you are developing a solution to a problem. My hypothesis here is that perhaps we don't 
document this as well as we could to show it as proof of work to someone else when we're ready to get a different job. Yeah, and I would agree. And I would say um, your example of LinkedIn is a great place to do that. If you don't have LinkedIn today and you're listening, you should go out and get LinkedIn. It doesn't cost you a penny and you can organize your, your work history and your educational history and your certification history in there very well. But one of the nice things about it is, is as you're working on new projects and getting new experience, you can go in there and edit it and you can add those experiences into the, the job fields and things like that so that it's kind of documented for you. So really, say you want to make a change out of your organization, uh, potentially, and you need to build your resume, well, you can do that very simply with, with LinkedIn. I don't work for LinkedIn. This is not a sponsorship of LinkedIn, but they just make it very easy to kind of dump all that information into what could be your resume moving forward and, and showcase, like you said, all your different experiences. Yeah. And it's most likely that if you hand in a resume and your LinkedIn doesn't match it, you there's a chance you could get asked about that. Ideally, you want to put as much relevant experience on LinkedIn in terms of the skills and accomplishments you have, because as Brandon said, it's free and it's discoverable by recruiters. So you never know when there could be a recruiter combing LinkedIn, whether it's a tough job market like right now or not, and they could find their way to you and you could land an unexpected, really great opportunity just because you had things up to date so people could find you. Yeah. In fact, you can actually, uh, there's a button on there that you can choose to show um, recruiters that you're willing to look for new work and they'll actually be alerted to that and contact you. Yeah. That's the open to work option, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Powerful platform. For sure. Let's go back just a tad because you mentioned you were a community group leader. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between going to a community group and gaining value from it maybe listening to some of the talks, you already mentioned gaining value from keeping in touch with your fellow students from the computer school you went to. So for you, Brandon, what made you want to step up and, okay, I'm going to be an organizer or a leader of this community group instead of just someone who attends? And what are those kinds of responsibilities like? Great questions. So when I got involved with VMware, um, the excitement that I had for this really set off a whole new direction for me. I began to think about the possibilities of virtualization and what they were going to mean for organizations moving forward. And as a means to try to learn more about this technology and connect with others that were getting involved with this type of technology, I reached out doing some searches for myself to see if there were any communities or community boards or anything I could join where I could gain more experience and understanding of the technology from my peers. The one thing that we, I don't necessarily think we realize is that um, there's a community of people doing the same thing that you are, and they might be going through the same challenges and things that you are. And if, if you don't have to reinvent the wheel, then why reinvent the wheel, right? If it's already there for you to take, then just do it. What I found was that um, there was no VMware user group, but there was this thing called VMware user group, but there was none in the area that I was at. So the next logical step for me was to look at, okay, I, I need for my own sake to build a community 
of people that are involved in this technology. Um, how can I do that? And I reached out to the leadership of VMware user group, the VMUG, and they helped me become a leader. And they helped me connect with others that were doing the same thing and reaching out, trying to build community. So I think that our first official meeting, we had three people show up and we really just talked about some basics stuff. And we started to network and have conversations and learn who each other were. Um, and I think that's another important aspect of community involvement is networking. It really plays well into building your career and the direction you go because technology is really huge, but the tech community is kind of small. We constantly run into each other over the years in different jobs as we move along and we change. And the funny thing is I've seen this happen so many times where I'll move careers into another uh, direction and uh, I've run into people that I've networked with. So starting that out really was beneficial to me myself. I had to figure out ways to try to get people involved and lead. And I thought, you know, if we could partner with, with VMware and, and get training for these people, sort of free training, because training costs money at the, and it still does. But if I could get VMware to come and train us on specific things for free, that might attract people. Um, and it did. So we ended up growing the group um, over a period of, I think, three years. We got up to, I want to say it's about 300 users uh, in the Rochester area. So Rochester, New York, we grew from about three to around 300 users. We became a massive group and we were seeing people coming in from Syracuse and Buffalo and all over Western New York. And we started growing into doing, you know, more things than just learning together, but trying to socialize and, and learn who each other were and what we did in our own jobs so that we could develop relationships that way as well. Hopefully that answers some of your question. Yeah. And did you run the group on your own that whole time or did you have others who helped you do it? Um, so I had help from leadership, um, but I didn't have anybody helping me um, from another. I had no other leaders at the time. Um, so that was one of the things I had to go out and do because this was kind of a another job that I took on. And I quickly realized, especially as we grew, that I couldn't maintain this by myself. Um, so I started to recruit others to join me as leaders and co-leaders so that we could support each other and just find people that were willing to step up and had the same vision um, where they wanted to grow this group and loved VMware. Yeah, because when you're a, a user group leader, whether it be VMware or some other technology, you're in charge of locking down a venue for the event and coordinating oh, yeah. with presenters and topics and scheduling and sending out the invite, marketing the event, all of those things play into it. That's just all for the love of the technology, wanting to get others excited about it as well. And again, just build that community of uh, individuals that, that are like-minded and want to see their careers grow. And one of the things I always told people, you know, in the group again, was like, I would always start out our VMUG meetings by saying, look at the individuals in this room. Just think about the culmination of knowledge that we all hold within this room on technology. We've probably seen it or we're doing it or we're going to do it, but like we're here together and we are here to support one another and we can 
lean on each other. So if you've gone through like a deployment of NSX and this person is just starting the journey, you know, spark up a conversation with them, ask them what they're going through, start, you know, sharing the knowledge and transferring and sharing what you've learned to that other individual to help them be successful in the things that they're doing. Because that's one thing I loved was like, we were here to not only have all this knowledge, but to help each other grow and, and not make the same mistakes. Yeah. And speaking of not making mistakes, it sounds like you you learned lessons or you took the lessons from your time in the Marine Corps about asking for help and support and applied those here with the community group when you sure. needed to get support as a leader who kind of had to do it by himself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think um, that's the one thing is, you know, growing as an individual over time, you know, the, the lessons that I learned in the past and applying those to the things in the future. By that time, I had no problem asking for help. <laughs> That's a great thing. You had the experience. You were a user group leader, which means that you were, even if you weren't giving a talk necessarily during a meeting, you were probably the MC and introducing speakers and talking about opening meetings, closing meetings, coordinating. So you're still getting public speaking experience there. What was it that made you want to start writing blogs in addition to that, Brandon? Oh, uh, yeah. So um, besides doing the VMware user groups, which I've been doing now for, I think, going on my 11th year, so over a decade of leading the VMware user community, Wow. Um, I decided to almost simultaneously begin writing blogs about VMware. And part of that was really my own learning. Uh, so the things that I... I was learning at the time, I typically would write blogs about. So it helped me sort of get my thoughts out there on the technology that I was learning about. Or if it was something that I was working with a customer on, it, it sort of allowed me a, an avenue to express what I thought about um, that technology or that particular solution and allowed me to learn more about um, the technology than just implementing it. Because when you start blogging about it and you start talking about the different aspects of it, I, I think that you just take on a different perspective of the technology altogether. Because you're not just looking at it as a technology and a solution. You're looking at it, oh, I, I'm not really sure how to say this. It's just, it's, it's just looking at it from a different viewpoint. You're not necessarily regurgitating a bunch of stuff that, you know, was read in a book or, you know, things that you've put your hands on, but you're kind of putting yourself into the technology almost. So you're embedding yourself into the technology and what you learn through that. And again, part of that was that I wanted to have an avenue where others could step in and, and read my blog and learn about the things that I was going through as another aspect of sharing what I was learning as well. Oh, that was a long answer. <laughs> that was a good answer, though. If you had to give advice to someone who had thought about blogging but figured, well, maybe I shouldn't do it. A bunch of people have already written about this topic before. I, I don't know if I want to do that. What would you tell someone who is concerned about starting, unsure if they'll be successful? Yeah, I would say drive to McDonald's. And don't go to McDonald's. Just, just Step out of your car in the parking lot and do a 360. And you'll realize that there's not just a McDonald's there, but there's a Burger King and there's uh, a Chick-fil-A. And, you know, there's 
there's all these different things. So like one, don't worry about the fact that there's a bunch of different Burger Kings and McDonald's. It's you're, you know, they're doing their thing. You do it your way. Um, so one, don't worry that other people have already been writing about this stuff for a long time. Um, they're writing it from their perspective and from their way. So they're, they might be a McDonald's, but you're a Burger King. I would say write about what's relevant to you right now. Start with your day-to-day job. Um, I was just working with a young lady um, to help her showcase her new blog. And my advice to her was write about something that is relevant to you. You're a new VMware administrator and write about a day in the life of a VMware administrator from your perspective, because your perspective of it will be different than others. What does it mean to be a VMware administrator today Um, compared to like, you know, I guarantee she has a different viewpoint from uh, me when I first started way back when, and people will want to hear that story. You know, so write about what's relevant and back to the point that like a lot of us are already working on new technologies and developing PowerPoints and stuff to kind of sell the technology to our internal customers. You can now take that and kind of scrub it and translate it into uh, a blog that is now relevant to others out there. Or if you've worked overnight, you know, we've all been there troubleshooting something overnight and you, you know, once you kind of dust off the, the crust out of your eyes and take a hot shower, go write down what you went through and your experience of that and blog about that because that's very relevant too. And you could maybe help somebody walk through troubleshooting something um, that you've, you know, spent all night trying to do. So there's all kinds of different avenues to get started. Yeah, lots of free free ways to get started as well. And I love the fact that you said scrub it because you certainly, if you're thinking about blogging or on the fence, you just want to make sure that you're not sharing any proprietary information or configuration data that shouldn't be shared outside your company. Just keep that in mind. Especially if you're new to, to blogging. You don't want to get in trouble with your employer. What if no one reads my blog, Brandon? What if I write all this stuff and I just don't have a big following? I would say have your motivation be that you're doing it for yourself. You're gonna benefit regardless. You know, you're probably gonna learn while you're writing about what you're writing about. And you'll think about things that didn't really occur to you while you're going through whatever it was that you're writing about. Um, so I think there's still a tremendous amount of benefits to the fact that um, you're writing this out. And whether people read it or not, I think isn't necessarily, shouldn't, shouldn't be the motivation. You know, we're not all trying to be rock stars out there. I think, you know, obviously in the culture that we live today, a lot of people want that so, social media, you know, stamp of approval, but I think do it for yourself because look for the benefits that you're going to get as doing it for you. That's a good motivation because there are benefits, even if not that many people read it. One of them is someone could find that blog and say, oh, this person, they can write, they can communicate. It looks like they're pretty technically competent. I bet they could do this job I have an opening for. Yeah, technical writing. When Brandon made this suggestion that people in technology should be presenting things inside their own company, 
What did you think of when you thought about a presentation? Was it some formal thing with PowerPoint slides, standing up on a stage with people at your company in the room? That could be it, but I actually don't think that it needs to start there. It starts in much the same way as the genesis of a conference talk. It starts with an idea. And if you work in technology and you want to do your job well, it is very likely you're going to think up an idea on how to do something better. Maybe it's a change of a process, a change in the way something is architected, or a change out of technology solutions. And of course, you would map that to a business problem, saving money, decreasing risk, increasing profit for your company, some form of measurement. But it starts with a small idea. And we can have an idea, but we might not always have the approval. We may not have the level of authority to approve just making the change. So we might need to socialize that idea to someone with the authority to say yes or no. Maybe you start with your manager. Maybe you start with a peer who is the lead on something and make that suggestion. And the suggestion is probably just a few minutes overview of what your idea is and what it will do. That socialization is a form of mini presentation. I'm sharing with someone how I think. I'm presenting an idea to them, at least a little bit of an idea. And they may say no, or they may say, I'd like to hear more about that. And if someone says they'd like to hear more about it, maybe you do go and develop that formal presentation. And there's not necessarily a time limit, maximum or minimum depending on what the idea is, but you may need some justification along with that idea to make the change that you seek to make. Maybe you formalize your presentation and you present to another member of the team or someone from a different department that is someone you consider to be safe to give you feedback before you present it to decision makers. Once you get the feedback, you take that feedback and include it in your presentation, make Maybe you do then give your presentation to the decision makers who can say yes or no. This reminds me a lot of the episodes we did with Neil Thompson from Teach the Geek, episodes 193 and 194. Neil said that making presentations to people in high positions was an area where he really struggled, and that was the genesis of him starting a business centered on public speaking. By the way, if you want to hear stories of public speaking, be sure and go check out the Teach the Geek podcast that Neil Thompson hosts. Presenting at a user group is one of those patterns that we've seen people on the show and out in the greater community use as a form of personal growth and development. And it makes me think back to the episodes we did with Al Rashid, episodes 73 and 74. Al sought out feedback from industry peers outside his company on the presentation that he was going to give at a user group because it made him more comfortable, it made him more confident, and he had people in the audience cheering him on. So don't be afraid to ask other people for feedback if that's something you want to do. Present at a user group or even, as we said before, inside your company. But we need to get better at presenting our ideas, hopefully in a clear and concise manner, and some justification behind why what we're suggesting is a good idea. I think after listening back to that interview, that being a user group leader is a lot like being a technical brand owner. Because if you're leading a user group, you have to figure out the go-to-market strategy for the user group as a whole. 
What problem does it solve for the people who are attending? What are the types of things they need to see and have happen at these user groups to get better, to grow, to continue to come? And how can you encourage collaboration among the people in the group? And to be a user group leader, if you recall, Brandon needed to be a part of a community of other user group leaders, other people who were doing that same thing to get the level of support that was needed to keep going. The love of the technology was important. I wouldn't want to lead a user group in a technology area that I wasn't really excited and passionate about. Brandon wanted to be a leader so that he could learn from others, other people with experiences different from his. And he wanted to use it to make professional connections. Something really interesting I thought of as well is if you're a really active member of a user group and you're helping other people in the user group with technology solutions or providing guidance to them from your expertise, that really isn't that different than consulting. It's a little bit different, but think about it. If I'm helping someone from a different industry than me solve a problem with a technology that I have experience with, in a way, that's a lighter form of consulting. That's something that I could highlight on LinkedIn or resume, or maybe I can point out all my answers to questions and my activity in a specific online forum focused around this specific technology as proof of work in that area. That's just another form of documenting your accomplishments, the accomplishments you have made by being an active participant in a technology community. And if we go back to the documenting accomplishments section for a second, we talked about documenting those things that maybe didn't get approved. So here's an example of a particular project that maybe you could document on your resume. Let's say that you had to work on a project related to improving disaster recovery. Your resume might say something like the following. Evaluated 10 to 15 market solutions to improve corporate disaster recovery. Selected the top three solutions based on company recovery time objectives and security requirements. Developed technical architecture and recovery plans for 20 tier one applications. Presented that solution to three different business unit VPs and the global CIO. Notice I didn't say anything about my idea getting accepted or rejected. Maybe I include some measurements of cost reduction or risk reduction in those bullets as well, but that might be something like what you could put on a resume or a LinkedIn page that shows evidence of experience. Because if you evaluated 10 to 15 different market solutions, you know what's on the market for disaster recovery. You know what type of features are out there. And that takes work to gather that information, gather the data, and then present it back by selecting the top three solutions based on some requirements you were given. Again, a form of consulting. You're developing a solution for your company. And let's also remember that blogging is a form of showing your work, documenting your accomplishments. If you've written a blog about how to do something that you've done before, I just documented my accomplishment It's in blog form, it's publicly accessible, and I'm writing about what's relevant to me, just like Brandon said. Go back and listen to episode 61 with guest Amy Hervey. She's a marketing professional and really a wealth of knowledge in that area. Someone I've collaborated with on a number of blogs in the past. Stay tuned next week as the trilogy with Brandon Seymour comes to an end. Farewell listeners, tune in next time as the journey continues. 
I'm John White at B Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore signing off. Adios. Adios.